Hello, welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends, your weekly dose of James Bond brought to you by your friends at mi6hq.com and mi6 Confidential Magazine. This week we are going to talk about the viral load that is Top 5 Bonds um, that has been thrust upon this um, fandom by Mr. Mark O'Connell. So he's here to explain himself um, along with Calvin, Phil and Dr. Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? I'm Calvin Dyson, and I have a YouTube channel under that name where I talk about all things Bond in video form. Mm. This is Phil Noville Jr., editor of Fangoria Magazine. I did not know that we were going to be talking about thrusts and loads today. but <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I'll adapt. <laughs> Oh, is it me? Um, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm a university professor, award-winning author, and podcaster who specializes in gender in James Bond and other action films. And I'm the viral load wrangler, Mark O'Connell, uh, author, <laughs> writer, uh, bullet-catching author of Bond things. And yes, I'm currently uh, juggling the world's favorite Bond films. Excellent. So, Mark, um, for those who haven't read the article that kind of went out last week, can you tell everybody about what this little project was? Yeah, well, I, I often write for Yahoo Movies Entertainment, and my M there, my sort of um, boss there, I suppose, um, said actually before November, I don't know why it was November, there was something happening in November. Let's try and do, is there any scope in doing a, you know, best Bond films according to Bond fans and um, whoever will get involved and give their opinions and i thought that's great and yes but why stop at bond fans let's try and open it out so that it will be interesting because you know the i don't know the, the bond fa- the bond fans of bridport or the bond fans of dorset as as amazing as they doubtlessly are we thought maybe let's it'd be fun to get some other people involved so i started to, to, to took out my little uh, bond black book of um emails and uh numbers and i just thought i'll go around people and just start to see so we got ended up getting i mean we got a bond villain we got a bond actress we got a bond costume designer author academic um lisa got involved as well um and it kind of grew so and then we opened it out to the public as well and then it grew again and there's sort of like a two two charts there's what the you know the bond experts and alumni felt but then that's augmented with the public vote which kind of changed it slightly although there were similarities with all the lists uh, and it's just grown and it's become a good thing and George Lazenby uh, sort of caught his attention this week and then this we always had this idea because you know online is still a visual medium but this idea of um, write down a handwritten list do you remember doing handwriting folks and just do that <laughs> and um, and take photo and um, yeah and it's kind of grown and blown and it's 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 a good thing i'm, I'm seeing lots of funko pops and duvets at the moment um <laughs> but uh, no it's i love it's been lovely and it's, it's what i have liked about it is it's also um it's sort of emancipated a little bit of opinion when it comes to bond films because people have been quite brave to, to genuinely put in their favorites and their bests and their guilty pleasures rather than perhaps going for the um the usual uh the usual icons of the uh, registry yeah, there's been a few brave souls that have put some critically unpopular movies at the top of their list, right? Well, Billie Eilish put No Time to Die at number four, which is a little worrying, but um, no, she, she didn't. She didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting till it hits the back of the room, back of the room like that. Like, I, I don't want to look needy, Pierce Brosnan or anyone else, but if you could maybe do your top four Bond films, um, um, and, and anyone really, because there's a lot of big famous Bond films out, Bond fans out there. Absolutely. So... Um, I thought what we'd do is count them down 
um, the results of your survey, Mark, mm-hmm. and we can talk about each one and its merits or our feelings on its position in this list, mm-hmm. um, and maybe like call out a couple of the people that championed that film to get it into that place. Okay. Um, so, Calvin, would you like to do the honors? Number five. So, yes, number five, Bond 77, Roger Moore's massively successful 70s opus. Um, what often happened is very few people picked By Who Love Me as their number one, but I did that aggregate number thing. So if mm. someone gave, uh, you know, uh, Goldfinger as number one, that got 10 points, their fourth got eight points and so forth. And then, all, when, and then we opened it out to the public and we made sure that every one single vote was worth 10 points as well. And that's how we tried to sort of, get them all together um but uh spy who loved me featured in aj chowdhury uh author of some kind of hero featured in his list um just looking down at the photos here um uh, uh, john rain author of thunderbook and smirch pod guy he um that's why he loved me is, is number two there um just going down oh, martin sterling he had it on his list as well so yeah so spy who loved me at number five this is why i'll never present top of the pops <laughs> <laughs> I, I had i had it i had it at number five on my list and crossed it out oh is that what that yes i need to I, i've got that here yes oh i see yes and you went for a view to a kill that's so that's so generous of you so um yes i subbed it, it out yeah and bond lifestyle they put it as as one of one of their uh, number four and uh, Paul, the entertainment journalist Paul Simper, he had it up there as well. So there's a lot of bubbling love for um, for the Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, I think Roger did suffer a little bit in the vote in that he had seven films to pick from and kind of split the vote a little bit. Yes, yeah, although overall I was really encouraged when I because the final winner slightly threw me, but then I realized, no, that's a good thing. And I looked at the rest of the rankings and it was quite a cross section of eras and films as well um so that was kind of slightly encouraging uh yeah it, that, it's to be expected i think spy is often ranked at his, as his uh, best uh i mean i'm more of a champion of moonraker myself but uh yeah no it, it makes sense it's also, I would say, the Roger Moore film where we get the kinks out in some of the earlier films, and then The Spy Who Loves Me um, comes in and it packs a punch, and that becomes uh, the typical style that you also get in Moonraker, uh, where you have the lavish set, you have Bond um, uh, commandeering that that ship, leading a group of men. He has um, a, a competent spy, Russian spy, at his side. So we see the rise and the strengthening of women. Like it really is a classic film. It's got a great hench person in it. Um, it has a villain who has, you know, this underwater vision. I mean, it, it has all of these elements that are typical when we think about what would happen in a Bond film. The Spy Who Loved Me is hitting all of those marks. And so I do understand why fans uh, would put it in their top five. Maybe not their number one, but knowing that it is sort of a classic, a staple. Uh, it, to me, it, it's it's a clear choice. I uh, it's it's a clear choice. It's a safe choice, isn't it? It's the opposite yes. of a controversial choice. Um, it's I, I was tasked with ranking the Bond films once upon a time for Thrillist, and then they asked me to do it again the next year, and I said only if I can compare my shifting rankings because for me the rankings. Uh, the, the the malleability of my list is what makes it fun at all. Is that if you ask me in two days, my list will be different than what it is today. Um, but I had I had the spy who loved me at five one year and then at nine the next year. Hmm. Uh, 
it's and I don't know why. I think it's because I started to gravitate toward as as someone said as I think as as Lisa just said it, it's where they got the kinks out, right? But um, like at the time, I was really enjoying the ones watching the Bonds find their way. That's when Doctor No really spiked for me, and that's when Live and Let Die mm-hmm. took a real uh, uptick in my ranking. I just I like watching them not so comfortable in their skin sometimes, um, mm-hmm. and so that. This certainly doesn't offer that. Roger's all at ease in this role, and it's a, it's an iconic entry. It's got maybe the best theme song of all of them. Um, so there's no, there's no arguing its place in the top ten. Yes, yeah. Stephen Bailey, who's one of the writers of Deutschland '89, which is a series I implore everyone to get involved with. Uh, he uh, said, "A Spy Who Loved Me." It's the perfect blend of action, humor, and outlandish escapism. Uh, Barbara Will- Barbara Back willingly joins in on the joke. Jaws is simultaneously terrifying and funny, and the Lotus deserves a comeback someday, which I felt was mm-hmm. yes. Now, yes. Now I've always said, "Where is the Lotus? Where's the Lego Lotus?" Dear, <laughs> dear, dear everyone, can we not have a Lego Lotus, please? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And you can put it in the bathtub and just watch it sink. <laughs> it would be so much fun. <laughs> okay, now I want one of those. <laughs> Absolutely. Number four. From Russia with love. Sorry, I'm, I can't do this. Yes, so From Russia with love obviously featured very strongly. Um, uh, it was the top for Mark Gatiss, who, um, as ever, came up with some really good uh, opinions on the film, which I can just got here. He called it a proper spy movie, drenched in atmosphere and glamour, but still mm. low-key enough to not feel part of a franchise, which was as ever as astute as Mark is on that one. Um, the, the great uh, Bond artist and Bond collector, Ruben Wakeman, um, agreed on From Russia Love. He said, it's a true Bond thriller, oozes class from the beginning to the score to the outstanding cast, and it really does bridge the Fleming and the filmic bonds, which is something um, Ian Fleming sort of chief uh, biographer and uh, historian Andrew Leitzert uh, totally agreed with and he put from Russia with love, with love at his number one and he said it's all down to the vision of 007's original creator Ian Fleming and how the tension character flair and glamour are all the ingredients of the Fleming sweep uh, so yes from Russia with love became quite a it was quite a popular one in, in sort of both strands and ultimately on the final list as well it did um, very well as it should uh, and I, I like I did genuinely like Mark's comment about it it's got enough strength and sense of purpose to not feel part of a franchise, which actually is a really interesting way of looking at which Bond films don't feel part of the franchise. Well, mm. probably very, very few of them. I actually think Dr. No's trying to be a franchise. It's, it's trying to be mm-hmm. one of a series that we haven't seen yet. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting that the second one possibly doesn't do that. Maybe. I'd say majesties, but we can discuss that <laughs> later mm. as mm. a standalone film. Mm. I, I was quite surprised to see for Russia this high up because I mean, for years it was always the one that Eon wheeled out as the, you know, sensible number one choice um, of the franchise. But um, I think Casino's kind of taken over that a little bit from the official dumb's standpoint. Um, yeah, I, th- I think for Russia with Love, also it's it aligns. It, 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 I mean, it's it's very aligned to sort of film studies and film history. For Russia with Love, it often crops up. Uh, more than some of the others. Yes, Goldfinger, we can talk about the stylish facets and all of what that achieved. But From Russia of Love has got a big, you know, uh, sort of academic um, halt gra- uh, grip on it, which is absolutely right. Um, in fact, I know a friend's just um, going to you know, start doing a big look at a new look at From Russia of Love. Um, so, yeah, fingers crossed on that one. I'm surprised it wasn't higher on the list, actually. Um, 
I, I can't say it's it's a favorite of mine personally, but just for all the reasons that you mentioned, like you know, it's a, a academic study. Um, mm. It's critically, it's quite lauded, um, and maybe that speaks to how people were submitting their uh, preferences. That it, it is on more of a personal enjoyment level than necessarily, uh, you know, a, a critique of what is you know cinematic art over over other things, mm. Um, mm. which I think is interesting. Yeah, I think from Russia, I've also has been bracketed, you know, for obvious reasons with Hitchcock and the, you know, the studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure Lisa's more plugged into that um, than I am, and and that it often came up, you know, the whole Cary Grant, the whole even just the costuming and the just the timings of it. Um, and on the actual overall uh, top top twenty four, uh, uh, from Russia, of Love came in number seven, so that's including mm-hmm. the public vote. So I think that's quite. That's a good standing for it. Um, a couple of others maybe nipped ahead of it, of you know, what I would call the classics. Um, but yeah, from Russia of Love got a lot of love from the uh, the Bond alumni. Hmm. But you're right, Calvin. There is something about, and I, I really wanted people just to put their knee jerk favourites or the ones they first think of. Not try and, and that's the problem when you go so public with something. One or two people I went to, um, I just knew they didn't want to say their titles publicly because it'll, it'll come back to haunt them but you know I'm, I'm i'm doing top five bond lists number two next week because we'll all change it again and we'll move them around <laughs> um, this, is, this is going on if lockdown goes on then so is top five bonds well i hope people take courage i mean this mm. is a series that has two dozen installments um and it's okay for you to have your preferences and tastes and mm-hmm. i don't even i don't actually buy into the concept of a guilty pleasure because i don't want some outside force telling me what i'm mm-hmm. supposed to like and Absolutely. having external factors tell me i'm supposed to feel bad about it because i get that mm-hmm. enough as being a woman who's a bond scholar and a fan right like why do you like this i i deal with that all the time that i've really just put my wall up um and i just don't care and maybe one of the reasons reasons why this particular film is tracking so well, it has to do with what Phil said before, right? That it's it's not sort of the typical choice. It's not the Goldfinger standard, right? I think we shift away from some of those more formulaic films. And you do get from Russia with love that feels different and it looks different. And I think that it's a, a film that has great character development. I love the villainy in this film. I love seeing just the array of the villains. I like the the fighting story between the fish. I like Rosa Klebb. I like the fact that she punches Red Grant and it looks like she really hits him. <laughs> she really packs a punch. But I think on the other side, you also have Krim Bay, who <clears throat> is um, one of the, the most endearing, supportive figures out there. People really like him in this film. And so it's not just about Bond uh, going through this mission. It really is a film that is enhanced by the cast around him. And so I can understand beyond the academics, beyond my friends who study British cinema. And so it makes sense why they would like this, as you stated, because of its connection to Hitchcock films and other films that were taking place at the same time. But it, I think a lot of it has to do with character development and the way that we can become engrossed um, in this film, in the narrative, in the storyline from start to finish. Mm. And I've just remembered something really random because you mentioned the British word there. It, again, that's why it often comes up because it's a it's a key British history title as well as an academic one. It comes up a lot for that. And I remember suddenly dawned on me that I think this is where I, I could be wrong, and James might know otherwise. Um, From Russia with Love is the only Bond film to ever be shown on 
British TV's BBC. <laughs> I was just about to, about to say that. BBC Two. It's the only James Bond film ever shown yeah. on BBC Two. And, they and it, was part of a, it was part of a British film series. That yeah, they were doing. and it was quite a big uh, sort of documentary event at the time, that series. Yeah. Although I think, has it yeah. ever seen Never Again been on BBC? Well, if I made that up. I know it's Not premier, BBC Two. It's premier night was... Um, Never Say Never Again's premier night was sort of on BBC One, which is the opposite channel to where those things used to go. Yes. But yeah, they, they plucked from Russia with Love out of all the Bond films. They, they picked that one as part of their British film studies. And all see, us film purists who hated cutting out adverts when we were taping them off ITV <laughs> found the no adverts thing really, I found it really unnerving. I remember watching and thinking, uh, just to say I've watched a Bond film on BBC. Right. Number three. We'll, we'll, I'll get better at this. Casino Royale, 2006, just if, in case there's anyone um, assuming it was the 1954 or 67 version. I, think um, I, I would be demanding a recount, Mark, if this was not the 2006 version. Yeah, it's definitely Casino Royale 2006, which if I just click across my multiple open tabs here, um, the great Dr. Lisa Fennell... Um, mm. who is not American, despite my um, uh, slight faux pas on that. So apologies <laughs> for that one. Um, uh, you suggested the reason for the inclusion of uh, Casino Royale is it's, and I think you're bang on the, uh, the money, penny, money here. Um, due to its cohesive nature, compelling performances, stunning the cinematography and an emotive score, which is something Mark, Mark Edlitz, the author who's just recently done The Lost Adventures of James Bond, he agreed, suggesting also that there is no cue, there's no money penny, there's no quips and no martini shaken or served otherwise. Yet, without frustrating the audience, the film is ultimately more rewarding, which I think is a very astute uh, grip on mm. that particular film. I was surprised it was low as number three. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I was expecting it to come in as one or two, to be honest. It did come in at number two on the overall everyone poll. Mm. Uh, yeah, and I, I assumed it would be high up there, and that's no bad thing. And I think it's a good thing that there's a, you know, a bond from the last 10 years, or maybe even two that have featured you know, well on these um, sort of open, open house surveys. This one dances between one and two with me from Russia with Love and, and Casino Royale. Trade places regularly on my list in the one and two position, I think. Um, and it's it's for all the reasons that that you mentioned. It's it's it takes away every trapping of the franchise, and it still succeeds as a film. Mm. And I think that 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 was such a uh, such a nuclear bomb in the franchise that that there's that's you can probably Skyfall made a billion dollars. Great, Casino Royale's success is the reason Daniel Craig is still in the role today. It's the reason mm-hmm. he's had the longest tenure. We are coasting mm. on the fumes uh, of, of uh, Casino Royale through through a at least two dodgy entries at this point. So, um, and the, the idea that, that they made him human again, again, they, they, I think they've chased it about as far as they can in the, in this iteration <laughs> of the franchise, but it was seismic at the time and it knocked all of us on our asses and, and we're still feeling it. Um, and the film is mercifully not really dated yet. It still feels right. pretty. Mm-hmm. It still feels it'll 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 play to a packed crowd just as well. 
Uh, and it's it's stacked with really amazing character actors that we didn't maybe appreciate in 2006, but Eva Green and Mads Mikkelsen um, mm-hmm. went on mm-hmm. to do great stuff. Then revisiting them in the film now, it makes it even more exciting. It's it's aging well for that reason, I think. Mm. It was a film, I mean, it ultimately went on to get loads of BAFTA uh, recognition as mm-hmm. well. I remember, I remember that's thinking, right. that's not normal. It's also not necessary. Bond doesn't need that. But I thought, that's not normal. And Casino Royale and Skyfall represent... They're, they're films that moved away from sort of franchise movie fans and it, to, to, to become a sort of movie event. And, you know, Skyfall definitely did that, Casino Royale. Uh, and not every Bond film hits, the, you know, hits that ground or gets that wind under its um, wings. And Casino Royale really did. That's the one that the people who don't know Bond films will reference. That, yeah. and, Sky, that and Skyfall of the sort of last 10 or so years. There's a there's a palpable sense that the folks behind it knew it had to count and they really sort of got behind it and, and did it right. Yes, mm. and it's, yeah, I think all the timings worked, and it just it fell into a, a great place. I, I, I do like Casino Royale. It's never in my top five. Um, I find it there's a little bit of staticness uh, in, the, in the middle of it. But like you say, um, uh, it was obviously the, the big title that Secret Cinema chose during the summer of 2019. And, yeah. the, I mean, that, that was maybe a three-and-a-half or three-month run, and it got extended to nearly six months. And that's because of the public's... Uh, you know, fascination and love of that film. Yes, it was secret cinema, but as we all know, you know those events, those immersive secret cinema uh, events are not cheap. And it was interesting seeing, you know, a lot of, uh, I hate saying the word civilians, but, you know, paying their whatever it was to be there and to get dressed up and wear their sort of Dorothy Perkins ball gowns. And it was, uh, I think, a testament to that film. Nothing wrong with Dorothy Perkins ball gowns or H&M. That's me being very on point if you watch Drag Race. So. <laughs> no, I agree with you on that, Mark. I was going to um, bring up Secret Cinema as well as an example of, uh, I don't know, it was just, it was weird sitting. I went twice and, you know, sat through the whole film twice with a with a packed audience like that of, like you say, not just like Bond fans. This wasn't like going to the BFI's uh, day where they showed Moonraker, Majesties and World is Not Enough. And you know that more than half the people there have probably seen this film about a dozen times and we all know what's coming. We can anticipate it. Casino Royale at Secret Cinema was like, I definitely like met people like out in the smoking area who were like you know i asked like you know have you seen have you seen it before and they were like, oh yeah like maybe 15 14 years ago whenever it was that it came out and it's like oh that's so interesting and yet you still paid the money to come and get dressed up and all this kind of stuff and we're really looking forward to seeing the film again and seeing it with an audience was terrific because there were laughs there were gasps there was hooting and hollering when daniel craig came out of the water which was uh really fun um and and i think that's probably why it's you know, gone up on my personal ranking recently. I, I've certainly had a good time with it of late, and mm. I don't know if it's too early for it to be in its you know, renaissance. Um, you know, maybe we need to see Daniel Craig step down before we can sort of go back and reevaluate, like like people did with Majesty's Secret Service, for instance, and some of Roger Moore's mm. films as well. But mm. uh, yeah, I, I was surprised it wasn't higher on this list. Again, similar to uh, From Rush with Love, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Yes, fair enough. I also find it interesting, like, when I... Okay, here's my story. When I saw it, I hated it. I still wanted Pierce Brosnan to be in the role. I was like, what am I watching? It broke all of the conventions. I was angry. 
distraught. I wrote papers on it. You know, I was just, you know, in, in that space. And, and after it's funny, after I've watched it, I've really fallen in love with it, which kind of mirrors the way that like I fall in love in, in person, right. Where I'm just like resistant to like, even my dog, when I adopted my dog, I'm like, Ooh, I'm not too sure about this. Three days later, I was like, okay, I'm in love. <laughs> I love my dog. And so I tend to have sort of like this, 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 this wall up when something is different, it is different from what came before. And I wasn't necessarily in the most open space at the time to really take it in. And it's taken me watching this film many, many times and writing about it and thinking about it for me to truly appreciate its brilliance, what it does cinematically. It is a great standalone film. But then when I add to it, what it meant to the James Bond franchise, not only to provide us with a new Bond actor, but to take the risk of doing a prequel and rebooting this franchise, changing the imagery, changing the tone, changing the style of Bond, the heroic model is different. These are all huge steps, huge risks. And it did it, in my opinion, seamlessly. And anytime it's on television, anytime I watch it, I just stop what I'm doing. It's not one of those in the background kind of movies. I think that Phil, Phil uh, you, you you described a couple of the movies as a, like hangout movies, like it's kind of there in the background and you, you do your own thing. It comes on the screen and I am engrossed in it. And I think it's just, it's a combination of all of these elements everything just worked together, magic in a bottle. And, and that's what we got. And I think that it's got that great legacy for me that I keep falling in love with it. I'm still like, my heart is still growing. Like the little Grinch heart is like exploding. You know, every time I, I see this film and I am probably the most shocked to admit that the fact that that is my, my trajectory uh, with this film. And so I think even this notion of a Renaissance, I just encourage fans to take another look at it. If you've seen it once and you're like, this is not my thing, that's okay, but just give it another shot and maybe you'll come back to it and, and, and see a couple years later um, what it meant for the franchise and what it meant cinematically at the time. It definitely yeah. helps, like, because I think we were on a similar page, maybe, Lisa, because I remember <laughs> when it came out and it was, I think it's like it's such a shock to the system because it's so different to mm -hmm. what came before it. And going back to it now, when we've obviously got more Craig films that came after and kind of built upon it, I, I find it a bit more uh, easy to digest, maybe, in, th in that way. I don't know. But I, I agree. When I first saw it, I didn't dislike it, but it was, uh, oh, wow, this is something so very different now, particularly compared to, I mean, it's, it's insane to think that the film prior to it was dying of the day which uh they're just chalk and cheese really but um yeah I, I think it does help having the context of the other daniel craig films around it and um yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing no time to die as like maybe the fifth chapter in a in the daniel craig saga and hope you know maybe the whole thing will sort of play like a 10 hour uh continuing story when that eventually comes out but we'll, well see I, I think yeah because yeah no time to die is possibly going to you know go full arc as they say so actually the whole casino royale story 15 years later hasn't you know, ended yet that there, mm. there will be you know echoes in, in various different ways or small ways or subtle ways uh in the no time to die i'm sure of it and just yesterday mads mads mickelson said that he wanted to come back and play another villain and get craig back for a sixth film <laughs> so. Speaking of running the fumes, um, I just pulled up the numbers for Casino. This this part of the story about Casino has always fascinated me. Is that its domestic box office in the states was pretty much flat against Dino of the Day, like one sixty and one sixty seven million, so pretty much rounding error. A ticket in, increases in ticket prices kind of takes account of that. 
So it was it was flat in the states, but where it blew up in the US was home video. Huh. So um, it sold in its first week on DVD. It sold two point three million copies oh. in the states. And this is what this is what's going to blow your mind, right? So in November twenty ten, after almost two hundred weeks on release, it sold three hundred thirty thousand copies. Wow! Um, is that because of a Blu-ray debut? Yeah, it came out Blu-ray and it sold 330, yeah. like four years later. Um, and home video sales, uh, they stopped tracking them after that. Um, it sold uh, f- almost five and a half million copies oh my God. in the States. So it found a bigger audience mm-hmm. in the home video market in the States. It's like the showgirls <laughs> have bombed, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder too if it, if it, if it you know, there's the what does the home theater freaks call it reference discs? I wonder if it was like used as a reference disc for the home theater aficionados where, you know, the best sound at great picture quality, but, yeah. but not like a star Wars movie. It wasn't, it wasn't all like CGI stuff. So it probably was a reference disc for a lot of those AV nerds. Well, it took, it made 80 million in revenue off home video in those years, wow. um, which compared to 160 domestic box office the studio probably made more profit on the mm. home video than they did the film release. Um, so that I think built the U S audience for Craig and that's probably what went into spe- uh, Skyfall success because mm-hmm. these, these sales numbers skip over the release of quantum of solace. <laughs> <a little bit. laughs> like quantum of solace was in theaters and people were going out and buying casino Royale DVD. Interesting. Quantum so. of solace didn't do so well in either ranking. No. Um, although to be fair, it didn't do as badly as Spectre. I, I think, Spoiler alert, uh, Spectre kind of came last on both lists, or particularly the, the overall public and alumni list. Uh, and I, although I will say that most people picked one film out of 24, so there were always going to be 23 uh, Bond films left on the bench. But I, I feel that perhaps Spectre was the one that was left the most on the bench, which I, I found surprising as well. Although, And I think it's perhaps it's the... It's the most recent X as well. It's a bit like when we change bonds or, or have a bond from the last film starts to maybe get a little hated and maligned. And there, there does seem to be some sort of uh, slightly, I would say, sheep-led mentality. Spectre's terrible, isn't it? We all think it. I'm like, mm, no, it's it's got flaws and, and things. And I, I, I had no problem with Spectre. Um, I think it's a, a strong film. Um, I did at the time. But, um, yeah, I was surprised to see Spectre so low down. I think I'm there's not. an interesting thing happening here though, as we're talking. It's almost like we've talked about like Casino Royale. It started to do better and gain momentum as Quantum of Solace came out. And it's sort of like like a good Bond film turns into kind of like a great Bond film when you see the one next to it. And then, mm. of course, Skyfall was really popular. And then, you know, I'm not on the Spectre love train, but I feel mm. as though like Spectre made me appreciate Skyfall even mm. more. And I feel mm. as though it's sort of like this little roller coaster that I'm on. And I'm really hoping that no time to die is on the peak. Like we're, we're, we're going back up, but I'm also wondering how, and this goes back to this notion of watching it all as a complete unit. If my thoughts and feelings on quantum of solace and specter will change. If I do watch it as sort of, even though there's different directors and there's a lot of different mm. influences, 
if I watch it as one complete unit and do sort of like a marathon straight through, if my thoughts and feelings will be different, watching them in succession, they might, I mean, anything, anything can happen. Um, And so I kind of want to see what I feel after no time to die and then revisiting these films and possibly doing a marathon and trying to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it could potentially be the lonesome dove of that, you know, the, the Bond era, the, the, the big box set of, of Casino Royale through to No Time to Die. And I think they, they will be sort of five chapters. I mean, everyone always says, oh, Daniel Craig, all he's done is copy the Bond films. Well, no, not really. The Bond films copied Bond, just uh, Bond have been doing it for <laughs> 20 years. But there's always, you can always align current things, you know, elements, trends, zeitgeist that Bond picks up on maybe copies, maybe uh, you know, emulates or improves. And I think the one thing that Daniel Craig era has really, <clears throat> what, what it really echoes in, in the era it came out in, is that idea of arcs and chapters and future films that has been sort of you know, pushed and pioneered by, by um, well, I say pioneered, but used a lot by my, uh, Marvel. So suddenly what happens in two films' time is linked to something in the past. And that Bond never did that. I think that's the that's the sort of zeitgeist um, influences that's affecting the Daniel Craig films. Whereas perhaps in the seventies it was uh, Kung Fu and uh, Kubrick. Sure, and Lisa's point is uh, also a, an interesting existential one. As as you get older and you realize you're going to get less and less of these, do you get softer toward the films that that you were kind of like? you know, unhappy with at the time. And there's, there's this great Warren Zevon quote when he disclosed that he had, he had terminal cancer and they asked him how long he goes, I'm not sure, but it'll be a drag if I don't make it to the next James Bond movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we do sort of, uh, we measure time that way in, in an interesting way. And, and so, yeah, no, we're putting a lot of hopes and dreams on no time to die, but I think the longer it takes to get it, it that's, that's another year off of our lives that we're maybe not going to get one after that. And, and we sort of right. like, uh, process them a little differently in, in relative to our own, like you know, timeline. I have had that deathbed thought of just lying there thinking, "Oh, I'm not." You know, it'd be annoying if they go, "Oh, new Bond films announced," and then that was, that was your last day on earth. You're like, "Oh God, no, no, what's it called?" <laughs> <laughs> Play the DVD by the grave, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number two, Goldfinger. 1964, in case anyone confused, confused it with another version. Yeah, I mean, Goldfinger is always going to be loved and talked about, and, and fairly so. I, um, I, I, I love what it does and what it started, what it initiated, perhaps more than the film itself. I, I find Bond's very passive. He's forever being captured and overhearing and observing things. But it, for me, I've always felt that Casino Royale is where the, the series started to move. I mean, Guy Hamilton, I when he passed, I attributed a lot of Bond's success to Guy Hamilton because he started to literally figuratively, uh, you know, stylistically, he was moving the film. Suddenly uh, we're in a moving Aston Martin. The sets are moving. There's a different sense of camera placement as well as the design and uh, all the music. But I've got some comments here from some of the uh, the Bond alumni. And um, Robert Darby, uh, Fran Sanchez himself from License to Kill, he didn't put License to Kill as number one, which I thought was brilliant and brave of him. And he put Goldfinger as number one. Uh, top of my head, I can't remember he put a number two. But he, I mean, he actually gave some really, really salient, interesting points on Goldfinger. And I've put them out there on my Facebook gallery because basically he just did a really long 
two or three paragraphs what he thought of Goldfinger. And he says, it's the film beautifully balances the essence of what audiences anticipate from what has become the most successful series in the history of cinema with a James Bond who is believably mercurial, able to portray a sense of danger, charm, sexual prowess, intelligence and ambiguity. And that was echoed by Jason Barlow, the, the motoring journalist who's had a recent book out called Bondcast, The Definitive History. And he said the whole film just reverberates with 60s call, cool, just as the decade was really starting to swing. And that, I agree with that. I, I often think Dr. Noam from Russia of Love, they're very sort of Warwick film, late 50s, Kennedy Kennedy late 50s Bond films, whereas Goldfinger is British. It is youth culture. It is design. It is pop art. It is, it, you know, it's a massive leap forward in that sort of Darwinian um, thing. And Paul Simper, the journalist, he, he said of Goldfinger, it has a 24 carat style with an effortless Connery in his post, post Hitchcock skin, intoxicatingly driven by John Barry peaking for the first time in the series. And I kind of totally agree with all of that uh, and academic uh, and author Monica Germana, she says the gilded Goldfinger has it all. The campus bond, remember the blue uh, towel play suit, the most memorable bond girl death and a queer bond girl who gives bond a tough time, which was a nice and very astute uh, observation of it. And it's the film that Mark Miller, who's uh, the big comic book guy and he co-created Kingsman. Um, right. He always says more is my favorite bond, but Connery is a close second and Goldfinger provided the template for all future Bonds and all future action movies, which I think Bond is still not getting acknowledged in the timeline of action cinema as well. Mm-hmm. As one of, yeah, I, I, I find that odd slightly because I know a lot of action films came after Bond and did their bigger, you know, Arnie, Schwarzenegger, Stallone type thing, but it would not have been possible had Peter Hunt knew, known how to edit an action scene together in, that, in my mind. And I know reading James Chapman's license to Thrill, he seconds that, where he talks about the rise of blockbuster filmmaking really stems from from Goldfinger. And I think Mm. Monica Germana's critique is definitely um, on point. I think that this is a film, when I think about iconic moments on screen... Goldfinger just seems to have them, whether it's, you know, the moment of the golfing, whether it's the bowler hat, um, whether it's for me, I love maps. So seeing, seeing moving maps <laughs> in a car, mm. even mm. though it's, 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 it's very low tech. I'm like, Ooh, that's interesting. But I really think what gets sometimes lost when we think about this is pussy galore. I mean, pussy galore is iconic and yes she has a problematic name we've already talked about this on this podcast um but what who she is and what she represents a woman who wears pants throughout the entire film a woman who can take care of herself who is physically trained um and a woman who makes her own decisions right she's working for the villain and chooses then to to side with bond and be heroic in that way i just think having her on screen she had such a presence and she had such a great chemistry with um, Sean Connery in that film that when I think about Goldfinger, I can't, I think about Bond, but I really do think about Pussy Galore and the other women um, who really inhabit these, these types of roles, some problematically um, and others um, like the grandma with the machine gun. I mean, there's just moments and, and, and there's a lot of women in, in this film and playing substantial roles, not just simply being there. And, and even, I think I was talking with my dad and he was talking about the importance of the 
death of, of Jill Masterson and like the type of death and how shocking it was uh, for audiences to see that and that there are stakes when Bond goes on a mission. Um, I think that there's just a lot of, of iconic moments um, and, 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 and women populating this film. And I think that has contributed to its popularity in addition to Sean Connery inhabiting the role. Well, I know I keep saying this after every <laughs> option we read out, mm. but this is very surprising. But it really is like to to see Goldfinger um, so close to the top again. Uh, like I remember uh, when I was, you know, uh, 10, 12 years old, seeing best of Bond polls around Dine of the Day for uh, in the 40th anniversary and everything. Goldfinger was often at the top. And I feel like it, just anecdotally, it's kind of, I would have, swapped if i was to predict this list i would have swapped this with from russia with love like i thought that from russia with love was considered to be the sort of more premium connery these days and perhaps a part of that is due to you know maybe people feel oversaturated with goldfinger after it being labeled the best for so long but i've always preferred it it's always been my favorite connery i think it's so much fun all the various elements that lisa um touched on working so well um and i th I, I think you know, maybe you know, we, we just went through, you know, a year where we lost both Honor Blackman and Sean yeah. Connery. So maybe people are looking back at it with a, a great deal more fondness than maybe the, you know, maybe some cynicism was, uh, you know, slipping in or maybe some dismissal about it perhaps being a bit silly or campy or whatever, even though it embraces all of those elements and makes something really very entertaining, I, I say. Yes, and mm. I, 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 it was slightly apparent that either St. Peter or, or God himself had a little pro problem with Goldfinger in 2020 <laughs> because they were also Margaret Nolan and I think there's there's one or two others as well. Although I love the poetry mm. that right now at the Heaven's Pearly Gates you know, on a black man is is uh, throwing Sean Connery over her shoulder. Um, I just, <laughs> that's how I view these things. Mm. Uh, to me, it represented the, the fact that we <clears throat> we have these echo chambers for ourselves, you know, this even within this podcast. And and so in our little circles, we're like, well, I'm never watching Goldfinger again. I'm pretty sure someone on this podcast has said that. <laughs> year. Uh, so somebody said they could watch it one more time. Yes. Right. <laughs> and and I, and I my my counter to that was like, well, I kind of felt that way for a while, but I'm now coming around to the spot where I could put on Goldfinger and hang out. And I just want to clarify what I mean by hangout movie. I don't I don't mean put it on in the background and do chores. I, I do mean it's a movie you just sort of like immerse yourself in and spend time in and you're not your priority i would say is not a propulsive sort of narrative and you know that's probably a full half of these bond movies if we're being honest but i i do i do love a good hangout movie where you can go and spend time in that technicolor world and in those sounds and those sights uh and goldfinger has come back around to being one of those for me it's uh it's a movie that i'm not like it's. I don't even think of it as an all-timer or a top five at this point anymore, even though it was on my list two years ago. But it is. It is a movie I'm not uh, air quotes sick of. You know what I mean? It's. It's something that presents a series of sights and sounds and sensations that that I do find pleasurable for two hours and change. Mm. Well, just just to say here, it's, it's number two in the, the Bond alumni um, uh, uh, top five rundown but it came number fifth in the overall one which is still respectable um ahead of from russia with love still um mm. but it still held its own and i maybe there's a tiny bit of people oh actually i don't think people operate like that where they they feel they have to put that one down just to to show uh willing um uh but yeah no i think i think goldfinger has earned its place uh, you we, you saw that 
when um, Shirley Bassey performed the, the song at the uh, 2013 Oscars, and it, yeah, you, 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 I mean, I, I mean, I'm always slightly lost by how popular or known Shirley Bassey is in America, and it, I forget that it's through Bond that she's known in America. Right. Um, and when she came out, I remember just they, they cut to the audience, and Quentin Tarantino was doing you know, clapping, you know, his heart out at it, and I thought, <laughs> ah, this film again, it's Goldfinger is definitely, um, whilst I'm not comparing it to Casino Royale in terms of its overall Bond importance. Um, it is up there with what those films that just leave the Bond registry and become become their own piece of cinema and art as well as a you know, sure. sense that uh, Goldfinger is a piece of beautiful pop art. Well, uh, it did spend know, 40 yeah. years as, as sort of the flagship of, of yes. the franchise, right? Absolutely. Where did this, James, if you can remind me, where did this fall when we did our watch-alongs? Because I remember it not being voted in the first, mm. I don't know, half of the films, which is why it's surprising that it's still, um, it, people are still holding on to it. Whereas people who listen to this podcast wanted us to talk about many other films before we really got and sunk our teeth into into this one. It, it was late in the polls. Yeah. And I think that was for a number of reasons. One is demographics mm-hmm. uh, our audience swings younger i think a little bit mm-hmm. compared to the average bond fan um two is what what more is there to say <laughs> right i mean goldfinger's <laughs> been down, analyzed yeah. and analyzed <clears throat> and talked to death yeah um and three is there's way more interesting stuff to talk about in other films i think and with all those combined i think that's why it was so slow on the take-up um you and live twice was the only connery that was even less like, yeah, we don't care um, <laughs> to talk about this film. So I was surprised that another film with gold in the title wasn't in the top five in place of Goldfinger, given <laughs> its rise as I think for a certain generation, the kind of like iconic Bond film. Well, you say that and maybe we'll, well, I'll do my full reveal as the uh, actress said mm. um, a bit uh, after we've yes. uh, given the number one of the uh, the Bond alumni. I must have a better note right. from that. So let's um, cue it up, Calvin. Yeah, go on. Number one. <laughs> on Her Majesty's Less Secret Service. Woo! Um, yes, and I believe a guy called James Page, who I I hear right. is, is uh, knows his stuff when it comes to um, – two of the bottom films uh he uh, i thought i actually had a beautiful line james you said um happy endings are for fairy tales on a majesty's secret services for those that have lived loved and lost and it is perfection and i thought that was a beautiful uh way of sort of uh, capturing its melancholy uh, and it's something that martin sterling who um is a television writer but he also wrote a couple of bond books one of them being martini's girls and guns uh he said of on the Majesty's Secret Service, it's pure Fleming. It's the best script, action sequences that stand up 50 years later. And I think anyone that saw it at the BFI a year or two ago would agree on that. And James Bond marries Emma Peel. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, mm. Young Bond author Steve Cole says it's all just down to the energy and clout to the action scenes that uh, Bond movies have seldom bettered. Uh, we had a perfect Bond girl in Diana Rigg. And Lazenby's... Mm-hmm. Like, Lazenby's brave performance benefits from the best story and truest film uh, from the Ian Fleming source novel. Um, I don't think you can disagree with that. I have, I mean, I think actually Honor Majesty's Secret Service is almost the new Goldfinger. It's the new, oh, that of course will be number one. But I, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, a lot of older fans can't get their heads around it. It, it was the Lazenby film. It was the one that, you know, 
nearly tanked the series. Well, guess what? It, it wasn't. It's the it is the jewel in its own crown. Um, and and I, I do think it's it's my it's I think it's the best Bond film personally. I've always said that. It's, I have a different favorite, but I always think on the Majesty's Secret Service is there's different templates in Bond, whereas Goldfinger is the stylish stylistic template and the the design template i think on a majesty's secret service is the tonal template is the emotional template and you can see them successfully yeah successfully yeah capturing that uh lightning in a bottle again with um i I think definitely with sort of casino royale and that melancholy that's you know that that um tracy melancholy hangs over daniel craig's or every one of his bond films and i, I think that's yep. um that should be threaded back to uh, Honor majesty's secret service as well to the point where they're using the honor her majesty's secret service uh score the theme song in the specter trailer even though it didn't end up in the film mm. oh yes of course yes i don't know if you folks remember that but yeah i, I he, he's he's been riffing on on her majesty's secret service for four films now how many mm. how many moments does daniel craig's bond have a uh, a beloved uh, colleague someone he cares about deeply dying in his arms right it it happens more often than it doesn't in, in daniel craig's run and that's all tied to to uh the final moment of on her majesty's secret service but it's it's uh i love the 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 rocky narrative of this movie when i was growing up in the 80s this thing was buried this was this was a chapter in a book called cult movies by Daniel right. Fury, and you would like it was a movie you would read about in this book and odds are if you didn't like there, there, we didn't have blockbuster at that point there weren't the giant big box video stores there was like the mom and pop stores they didn't have this movie on vhs you had to hear about it read about it wait for it to turn up on television more often than not it didn't get a big home video uh reassessment i don't think in in my day it's only hmm. in recent years that people have really come around to understand uh the the merits of this film oh do you think- yeah oh go on mark no, no go, go for it come well, I was just going to ask. I mean, do you think that a part of that is that it was ahead of its time? I mean, I, I mean, I can't praise Peter Hunt enough, really. Like I saw um, Gold recently as well, which uh, perhaps not the best written uh, film, but his direction and it, like it, there are some really stunning moments in in that film, and I think Majesty's Secret Service as well. It's it feels very modern. It feels very fast. It feels very uh, I, I don't know really. Sure. Um, well, I'll say this: I saw Gold on TV more. Than- than I saw on Her Majesty's Secret Service on TV growing up. Wow. It was, I think it, it, it's really down to just the rejection of Lazenby, uh, the, the, the bizarre sort of shift in, in formula that it was, and the fact that they went immediately back, to, that they retreated and, and uh, you know, ran back to the comfort of, of Connery in his dinner jacket in Diamonds Are Forever. Let's, let's be frank. Um, Eon shat on the film when Diamonds came out. There you go. Like with all the publicity materials, like forget that one we just did. We're very sorry. We're back. Connery's back. The real James Bond is back. Please forgive us. We're moving on. And they wrote the narrative themselves. That's a good point. But how much? much... Oh, go on, Mark. With sorry, Cabot, but with not much time as well. We sort of live in these sort of twelve years between each Bond trailer or film um, era. (laughs) Twelve weeks between. It's twelve weeks between the trailers, Mark. It's six years between the films. (laughs) I know all those people that complain, "No time to die." We we should have had a trade, an early trailer. Well, guess what? You saw the trailer really early because it's like three years (laughs) early. Um, But no, uh, yeah, you're right about that. Because it was, it wasn't like they waited four and a half years to sort of bring back Connery slightly quietly. They were on their quick turn. I, I think Secret Service is is it's one of those Bond films that's really brilliantly made, and I, I almost almost feel people don't know it. Bond fans know it, but a lot of 
wider film circles um actually some of them do know it because there's a like peter hunt's uh, pull focus and I'm probably not getting the right phraseology here but the those those scenes where Tracy and uh, Bond are courting and it's that beautiful montage to mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong that is you could you could have that sequence in a Ken Russell film at the time it it, it has an artistry you know Peter Hunt doesn't get enough praise at all in Bond um, we always mm-hmm. say oh he's the editor but most editors, as, as Bond, the Bond timeline proves, most editors are directors and vice versa. Uh, and I, I think there's a there's a majesty about majesty, dare I say. <laughs> uh, and it's also aware of what it's doing. Like that, the color purple is everywhere. Yes. And it's, the, it's the color of death, and it's in every well, not every scene, but it's just it's there in the casino wallpaper and the um, the compacts that the angels of death are given. Yeah. Uh, it's it's aware of its choices. That's what I that's, that's my sort of beat on that tonight it's aware of its choices yeah there's a deliberate sorry i was gonna say can i throw in there that one of one of the people said it's the closest to fleming i think russia is probably closest to fleming majesty is the one that improves on the story Mm. the book and with it's sort of the way they changed the ending (laughs) yeah Mm. he's probably adapted and it has a physicality to it. I watched Yellow twice uh, last week, sort of on our Ken Adam centenary weekend. And um, all right, admittedly, uh, Yellow twice feels like the first Bond film where Bond is really international. I know he's international in the Bahamas and in Thunderball, but it still feels sometimes a bit home counties, Pinewood. Uh, uh, well, it's the Commonwealth still, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just there's a- still a little linkage to uh, yeah. home and the uh, Union Jack. Whereas uh, you only live twice. Bond is really an international fish out of water. And then they, I, I just feel, I always feel a bit unnerved with Bond of Majesty's Secret Service. I, I, I feel Bond is really that's it's a dangerous thing to be up that mountain. I always mm. there's, there's a foreboding about it. And uh, I mean, you, literally, it's not a set. It's not you know most of it wasn't. It was all done in situ for real. And it has, it has that physicality of of. Uh, and confidence, which I think has just made you know made it timeless. And the action scenes, I mean, I'm not a big action scene watcher or or scrutinizer, but I just feel that the the what uh, what the stunt team, particularly the ski stuff, did is still groundbreaking. And also, we've got to remember, apart from maybe downhill race, the Robert Redford movie, and some sort of Olympics documentaries, black and white that used to be on, we no one ever saw skiing on cinema as well. So that's the, it. so yeah, I. I I totally understand why on a Majesty Secret Service feature so high on sort of you know the Bond alumni, the Bond experts, but also it, I'll just have a little click on here. It featured very highly. It came number three in the overall um, poll as well. Mm. It it has some genuinely jaw dropping cinematography. I remember watching it with somebody that hadn't seen it before, and the avalanche scene comes on. They're like, "How did they do that?" I was like, "Well, they made an avalanche." <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's just breathtaking. Absolutely. Oh, you see the behind the scenes stuff of the, the, the guy filming as he's being like sort of like towed by a helicopter. Was right. that before or after he lost his legs? I think it was exactly because he lost his legs on a chopper doing I think catch catch twenty two or something. But he carried on like a lot of those guys do. So oh, it's, it's just a flesh wound. Just hang yeah. me from a helicopter. I don't have legs, so I'll be less weight. We'll get a better shot. That that was kind of the gung ho post war mentality a lot of these uh, guys yeah. and gals had in those days these kids with their drones today have no idea no <laughs> exactly yeah exactly i have a little difficulty with this one being number one and it comes down to the question of 
can you like a Bond film without really fully buying into the actor playing the role? Mm. And for me, Lazenby was inexperienced at the time. I, I do think that that opened up space for us to get the, to me, this is Diana Riggs Bond film. Um, and once she's on screen, I am completely engrossed. Um, I moved. I, I fall in love with her. I feel everything that she goes through. And that's a testament to her as, as an actor. And of course, to the filmmakers focusing in on her, recognizing that power. Um, and I'm a big fan of Blofeld in this film. Yeah. Um, I am definitely like, I want to kind of know more about him. And I like how hands-on he is and the way he holds a cigarette. And, you know, I just, I buy into the two of them so, so much in this narrative. But I find where I struggle is the piece of time when they're not both on screen. So for me, there's like, and, and I've talked to other Bond fans about this, where they're like, it's really great. And then there's, you know, Tracy Bond's not there for a while. And, but then it comes back. And for me, this is a film where there's a lull in the, in the middle because it's lacking to me, the heart of the film. And that's Diana Rigg. And I feel this way about other Bond films when you have like a film like Tomorrow Never Dies, but Michelle Yeoh is gone for half the film. And as much as I really like her in that film, and I'm a huge fan, the film has to be put down for me a couple notches because we're missing, in my opinion, the most exciting part of the film. And so with this, I truly believe that it's shot very well and it's an interesting story. Um, but the fact that uh, it doesn't have, to me, the strongest performance for Bond in it. Um, and I think that that, again, has to do with inexperience. It's not it's not a knock on George Lazenby. I just think he didn't have any experience walking into that role versus somebody like Diana Rigg, who was a seasoned performer. Um, I, I felt an imbalance there. And so for that reason, it's I can understand why people like it. But for me, in my heart of hearts, it's definitely not a top five Bond film, even though I love Diana Rigg. How do your um, students react to it, Lisa, who have not necessarily seen it before? You know, it's, it's a mixed bag. There are some students who look at it and they're like, what am I watching? <laughs> they don't understand it. They don't get it. It's not what they expect. But some students love this film because they don't like Sean Connery. They think Sean Connery is aggressive. They, they, they call him, and I quote unquote him, the rapey bond. They don't like his <laughs> conduct or treatment of women in that film. And so for them, George Lazenby is a bit of a, a breath of fresh air because he's not uh, presenting himself um, in that way. And I actually had one year, the George Lazenby fan club, like a bunch of students got together and created a fan club. And I have to say my favorite student was in that fan club. It was Sawyer, the, um, uh, the, the helper dog. <laughs> um, and so Sawyer was my favorite student because Sawyer actually listened and was very attentive and let me pet him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I find that this is a, I feel like this is a, my class is sort of a representation of fandom. I find that this is just a polarizing film that you either really like it for what it's doing and why it's different and how it's going. And even then my students are like, we like his inexperience, right? Because it kind of shows bond being inexperienced so they can, they can connect to that and tap into it versus I would say people who 
have seen other Bond films and are coming to it from that end. So different from Mark, I'm a big action person. I love action choreography. Give me a good fight sequence. And that's what gets my blood going, right? My pulse gets racing and I'm totally engrossed. Whereas I really don't like like romantic comedies and I don't like dramas and stuff. It's too real. It's too much. It's too heavy, too deep. And so my personal preferences would probably sway me with the other students who, who are coming to it from that end. So I, I find like, like this is a really polarizing film, at least from my experiences in the classroom, teaching predominantly, I would say women, um, as well as queer and non-binary students. So interesting that a, a film that would be so polarizing still makes it to number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it featured prominently, obviously it featured prominently a lot of people's um, lists. Uh, Anders, uh, Anders, who's actually George Lazenby's manager, uh, he put it as number one, maybe that's... Biased. I think they call that a paid promotion these yeah, days. Of course, of course. Um, same way Trina Park said Diamonds Are Forever, I was very disappointed with that. No, um, yeah, it's, 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 I'm looking at it now, it's up there in a lot of people's lists. Luella Chapman, who's got a great book coming up on um, sort of uh, looking at gender and costuming of bonds, she had it high on her list. So did Mark Edlitz again. I put I put it always at number two. Um, yeah, it's a curious one. Maybe I, maybe t- things will change, tastes will change. I, I get your point, Lisa, about um, the film kind of operates around Lazenby. Uh, yet I still think it works because because the Bond character is is sometimes this blank siphon. Um, and it kind of works. It doesn't work when he's he's being dubbed by George Baker, and it slightly feels like we're in a carry-on film, just slightly for a little uh, beat of the time. But I, I think maybe they they made a very astute choice by flanking Lazenby with Telly Savalas, you know, mm-hmm. with 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 uh, Kojak and her from uh, Even Under the Sun, which is um, not fair on either of them. They they. It, they were clearly there, not just to pep up and to prop him up in terms of the acting, but just it's not about acting in any film or even a Bond film. It's about presence. And mm-hmm. I think maybe they weren't quite sure what Lazenby's presence was like. Personally, I think it's it's fine. Uh, as, I, as I'm as i a little older and as a gay man, I, I look at Lazenby and think, God, he's actually quite a cute Bond. I never noticed, you know, he was 30, he was in his physical prime. He's, he's quite cute in the in a way that uh sort of daniel early daniel craig was but that that's maybe me getting older and suddenly looking back at bond films i don't, I don't know what calvin thinks does this lazenby register on the uh the cute uh timeline <laughs> oh yeah probably <laughs> probably pretty oh, high yeah, up there probably, to be honest yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah it was just recently i was like and when i met him a year or two ago i was so tempted to go yeah you're the first bond that i thought was cute but I just got that vibe off Mr. Lazenby. That wasn't the thing to say. To him. So, I, I, I don't know how. Yeah. I don't know how much. <laughs> I don't know how much of that comes down to the fact that he did only do the one, so he doesn't have yeah. that kind of uncle feeling like some of the other Bonds have mm-hmm. that I'm just so used to. So I'm like, when I see that, you know, that still of him in his, you know, wife fronts out in the snow outside his Gloria, it's like, hmm, yeah, okay. Great. I, I get sent that regularly on birthdays. Everyone thinks they're the first to find it as a birthday meme. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> but I have no problem seeing that photo. It's not a bad photo. So. Congratulations, Calvin, on using the word uncle for the first time in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you slipped that one right by me. 
Yeah, and I, the buzzer didn't even go off. It was a covert yeah. one. I bet you didn't even have the buzzer to hand. You thought I didn't. Not for this yeah. episode. No. Yeah. Um, all right, Mark. So world exclusive. Can you reveal to us who was the bridesmaid in the top five? What film came in at number six? Oh, right. Didn't make. Hang on, I will just. That's a different tab. I need more tab notice than this. Hang on, hang on. Let me just. All right, we're going, I'm going into Excel spreadsheets. This could go very wrong. Right. Okay. Do you, I'll tell you what. I was <laughs> any any thoughts? What the Bond alumni had as their number six? I, the, I I think it's going to be Goldeneye. Goldeneye, probably. Yeah. As their number six. Okay. Right. Is there any chance? I'm going to say Moonraker just because, because but I think it's Goldeneye. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just checking my list now. Right, okay. Skyfall. What? Oh, huh? number, really? six, number six on the Bond alumni was Skyfall. Yeah. Huh. Number <laughs> six. Yeah. Number seven was Goldeneye. Yeah. Eight, doc, eight, Doctor No. Nine, License to Kill. And uh, Diamonds, Are, Diamonds Are Forever came at number 10. What? What? Mm. Of the Bond celebs, as my uh, as my um, uh, Excel spreadsheet calls. I know, I know, right? Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe they thought it would all be private. Some of their choices. But I, <laughs> I, I do want to. I'm going to underline what the number one was out of everyone, including the uh, the public and even MI6. I tried to run it on one of the uh, discussion forums, and the three people that voted, their votes were counted. I I wanted right. to know that. Um, How about the mail-ins and the veterans? Did you count um, those two? Yeah, we're, no, we're we're still waiting for that. We're still waiting. Right. Um, mm-hmm. We're not going to storm uh, some Hill. guy. Some guy in Georgia that tells me cared. <laughs> Do you know what? Our, our, our local uh, town is twinned with Georgia, and we all thought should we all go over and start counting? But, um, <laughs> right, number one was Goldeneye, which oh, right. I I was, you know, you you finally do that and you do the Excel thing and you 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 want to, you've done the maths and I was like right, just put in order now. I'm like, oh my god, and I was like, oh god, I've got to write about this, and I I, I don't mind Goldeneye, but I thought ah, this is. This hasn't gone where I thought it would. And then I realized that actually it's really important that GoldenEye is there because GoldenEye is the reason we have, we have Bond films now. And even though I still think of it as a new film, a new Bond film, it's not. <laughs> it's 26 years old. Uh, but it's it's the Bond film. I mean, Calvin, I'm sure you'll testify to this. It's, it's, the, it's the Goldfinger of you know, that generation. Sure. And that generation are online. That generation are, you know, are, are taking part in Pierce Brosnan, and Famke Janssen watch-alongs. Uh, so actually it suddenly made sort of demo- uh, demographical sense as well as, uh, well, democratic sense. And I, I was, I was kind of glad that a new film was there because guess what? I, I, you know, it, we can't keep having the gold fingers and from Russia with Loves as number one, because that's, that's a bit like, you know, saying the Beatles last good album was, you know, 1962. You, you kind of hope they do something better since. So mm. yeah, Goldeneye was the overall big favorites which i i i can live with yeah had less comments that i could weave into the article because matthew right. fields the uh, uh co-writer of some kind of hero he he put it up as, as his top and there's one or two others um, although it has featured on the photos that have sort of done their viral thing at the moment mm. it's interesting you say it's like not a new film it's now 26 years old think about it i mean when living daylights came out that's how old dr no was mm. <laughs> Right, mm. well, I, I do scary. that. I do that going backwards thing. Like, yeah. oh, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing um, that with I'm it. Yeah, always, yeah. Casino Royale to No Time to Die is the same as Doctor No to Spy Who Loved Me. 
oh. that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Stop it. Stop it. Stop, stop doing that. <laughs> no, we did it on the. Um, I, uh, I was born in 1975, and that was 30 years, you know, before the end of the, uh, uh, well, after the end of the war. And I thought that's 30 years ago is 1991, which I remember vividly. And so I act, we kind of weren't born that long after the Second World War. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's times a weird thing. Um, but yeah, 26 year old film is not new, but it, it hit the ground again. It Goldeneye was a film that that people who weren't just Bond fans went out and saw that's mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much why it's done well and it, it did well it, again james you probably will know more than i will but i, I remember goldeneye doing really well on on home videos we used to call it, it I, did. Remember, I remember it just being everywhere on the shelves mm-hmm. of racks. it was also on the television a lot like it was mm-hmm. one of those things my students say like well I don't know if we're hitting that generation, but when I first started teaching the course where they said, I remember watching it on TV all the time. I remember it was my first Bond film. I remember playing the video game. Like it really did. It really did represent for so many people their, their, their entryway into James Bond. And I think we hold on to those types of moments and the feelings uh, that they brought to us. I would say if it just had a little bit of a better soundtrack, I really feel like it would track better um, with a lot of people, but it does have I love Pierce Brosnan's Bond and and from his introduction, it's got um, two strong women in in the film that people really like. People really like having women who are in capable and competent positions and and bringing back the woman villain. Um, Like there's just a lot in this film uh, that that I every time I see it, I really enjoy it. Um, The soundtrack is a little bit off for me, but it's it's very noticeable and it reminds me of the video game. So at least there's some nostalgia in there but i can understand why people still to this day are like okay that was my bond film and and calvin i'm sure you have thoughts on this one oh totally i'm glad you brought up the video game as well because i think that is a big part of the you know the golden eye brand i feel like golden eye as a thing almost exists as like a you know aside from the film series as a whole for an awful lot of people who just kind of love golden eye and they maybe have seen a few of the others they probably watched some daniel craig's but they certainly don't go back into the history of it um as such, it's always been uh, a high up on my list, um, my favourite uh, at the moment, certainly. Um, and I think we're overdue a Pierce Brosnan renaissance, or maybe we're due it soon. I don't know if there's always this attitude of the one prior to the incumbent is always sort of, uh, you know, uh, looked down on a little bit. But I, I feel like once we get into Daniel Craig's replacement and the inevitable Daniel Craig backlash comes in, uh, much like it always does for whoever was last, I, I hope that we're going to get some reappreciation and reevaluation of the Pierce Brosnan films. And I'm sure that a lot of that will have to do with demographics as well, because a lot of people who grew up in the 90s will be in positions where they can, you know, speak from a platform and influence lists and all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm. You know, like when I was watching Best of Bond programs when I was you know, 12 years old, leading up to Dine of the Day and the like, a lot of the people talking and voting in those things were 50-year-old blokes who all had the same story to tell about going to see Goldfinger at the cinema in 1964 and the effect that it had on them uh, and all Pierce that Brosnan. kind of thing. Wasn't that Pierce Brosnan who... 
if I had a dollar for every time he mentions <laughs> yeah. the Putney, Putney Odeon, Putney High Putney. Street, which yeah. I've been to Putney Odeon as well. I don't remember him in there watching Goldberg. But, um, <laughs> he's yeah. still there. Yeah. yeah, he's still there. Yeah, I was like, oh, Piers, really, you, you should have better anecdotes than that. I, I mean, yes, I, I should, they, should have, they should have a blue plaque outside that cinema, shouldn't they? Here, what here, Piers Brosnan saw Goldfinger. Now, this is where ten thousand anecdotes were born. That's that's actually. <laughs> but yeah, I, I remember watching um, Ready Player One, the Spielberg movie, and the, I, I don't. I don't know if it's in the actual novel, I haven't read it, but um, Goldeneye, the computer game, gets referenced as being the most important game to, to this game creator that's you know, created the whole Ready Player One world. And I remember thinking, oh, Goldeneye is, it, I don't know if it's crass, maybe we need more time to suggest this, but Goldeneye is very much a particular generation's gold figure, and not just because it's the film that came out after a six-year gap and new actor and it did all right. It just embedded itself into sort of culture and pop art, and well, maybe not pop mm-hmm. art, but it, it became a thing. And actually, and also for production reasons, it was it's like a it straddles the uh, an old era of Bond and what will about to be the new era of Bond. So you, you know, you've got your your Sid Keynes coming back to do some storyboarding and design mm-hmm. work, and you've got Derek Meddings and some of the old guard, but also Chris Cobalt. Yes, they're all never used to CGI. Yeah. Exactly, and they—they they all, uh, Chris Corbould, who'd been on Bond since I think *Spy Who Loved Me* or even probably before, started to get you know become heads of department. And um, I mean, all Bond films are training ground for the next. But yeah, *Goldeneye*. There will be books uh, written on *Goldeneye* in terms of its importance, and, and also, I mean, so, sorry to bang on about it, um, but I—I I did another piece for Yahoo last year around the time *Goldeneye* hit its silver anniversary. And one of the things that suddenly dawned on me is that. Uh, uh, the reason that we have Warner Brothers Studio uh, outside uh, Leavesden mm-hmm. in um, North London is because of Bond, because they needed a studio. First night was filling up Pinewood and they needed to shoot. So they just found this disused, I think, Rolls Royce engine factory, which they, right. which, uh, Peter Lamont, you know, RIP Peter Lamont, one of the things he did was, and he did it more than once as well, Peter Lamont, he, he turned that, that factory into a working studio. And then they sold it on to Warner's. Well, first off, it, it was, became Harry Potter. It was the base for the Harry Potter films, and also the uh, Phantom Menace as well. Shot there, and he, you know, the Bond tends to give a gift of production to the British film industry on many different occasions, and Goldeneye has a real importance um, in that sort of history. Looping back to your um, thing about the release, um, Mark, um, Goldeneye came out at the peak of VHS sales. Like that market was peak '95, so it was one of the best-selling VHSs. And then a year later, it became one of the first Bond DVDs out. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, apart yeah. from Tomorrow Never Dies having just been out, it was like "quote unquote" the new Bond film, and it was on DVD too. And that's it. So it sold gangbusters, and that DVD came out like the year after the game came out. So we just had like '95, '96, '97, '98. This just Goldeneye was a big seller in all of mm. those years, mm. consecutively mm. for different media. Yeah, it's not. Um, always I don't think we'll ever see it again. Yeah, it, it's never just about did I like that Bond film. It's actually sometimes those films have a massive importance in all these sub and sidebar industries that matter as well. You know, in the entertainment. So that's you know partly what I say about No Time to Die. Let it have its whatever moment at, at the theatres, Touchwood, and all of that. And that's. A, another discussion but because there's so much more eco industries that uh, a bond can trigger and and goldeneye is one of the best examples of that so nicely wrapped up mark um but what should people do if they want to share their top five bonds 
Well, the, the photo thing kind of took off, uh, and it's been a really nice thing, and it's been nice to sort of get tagged in things. So if you hashtag top five bonds, if you want to write down, and you don't actually have to write it down, uh, you can do it any old way, but um, just list your top five bond films. Do it quickly, because if you start taking time, you'll take a lot of time working it out. The fourth and fifth one's always the hardest. Everyone's been saying that. Uh, and you can dress it up with what Bond, Funko Pop, vintage toys and merch you've got. I've seen a lot of uh, plastic Roger Moore's and Daniel Craig's the last few days. But it's love. It's really. It's been really nice because sometimes the Bond chat world can get a little angry and decisive. And lockdown may as as much as people have had more time to talk, they've also had more time to finger point and get annoyed by things. And what I've loved about this sort of photo sharing thing I, I called it the beyond the ice bucket challenge which is one for some uh, <laughs> james got the gag the other day yeah um, i've got a song to yeah, play I knew, yeah i thought i better i better get that yeah. one in uh, and it's just been nice to see sort of the emancipation of of they're not even guilty pleasures if, if you like that bond film then that's great it doesn't matter that you know a load of people in a different group don't like it if you if it rewards your time and your soul then it's good i think all cinema should do that so that's what it's kind of done so if anyone wants to do theirs i'll be it's been lovely to see i'm trying to collect them all together but it's kind of it's a bit like you know trying to keep a copy of everyone that's done the ice bucket challenge it's not quite gone as big as the ice bucket challenge but um <laughs> in terms of bond fandom online it's it's doing all right and it's been nice so get to involved, point. folks yeah Two point mark. There's always somebody who likes the penny toffees in Quality Street, right? You know, penny, like, uh, yeah. yeah, penny toffee. There's a Bond girl name. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we encourage everybody who's listening, write it down quickly. Don't think about it too much. Take a picture of something and uh, hashtag top five bonds. Yeah, there's no prizes. That's the number I, five. Yeah, there's no prizes. I've had some great ones. Someone did a very cool. They took a still from Roger Moore's notepad from the Nippon Spa in The View to Kill and sort of made it like Roger Moore was doing his list. And I had a very naughty one um, from a guy called Sam Allen. I am name-checking you. I don't know who you are, but I, it was just hilarious. He hilariously missed the point deliberately, and I, I think it might be my favourite. Um, but I won't share it just yet. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, as I say, I want Pierce Brosnan to do his, Billy Eilish, if you're out there, if you're listening, Tom Hanks, Hans Zimmer. Come on, it's... It's over to you now. And it's like, show us your penmanship. <laughs> to me, I, after I've seen a few of these, I've stopped like actually looking at the top five and I'm like, ooh, look at the handwriting. Yes. Look at, are they, are they putting emphasis in certain words? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going all CSI on it. <laughs> no, no, it's fascinating. It's been nice. Like I say, like the whole handwriting, it's, it's like, mm-hmm. being, like someone's writing letters and sending them out. It's been kind of cool to sort of see that in a, in a hashtag world. Fabulous. Well, as threatened, Mark, here's Beyond the Ice Palace challenge to play us out. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you next week. No worries. Thank you. Bye. Bye.